Welcome to Forward to the Future, Conversations on School District Leadership. I'm Dr. John Berkey, and this is Season 3, where we will be interviewing retiring superintendents from the Large Unit District Association in Illinois, and they will be discussing leadership lessons they've learned from their entire careers. Well, I want to welcome you to this episode of Forward to the Future, and our guest today is Dr. Lisa Hitchens, who is the superintendent of Batavia, and Dr. Hitchens will be retiring this year, and we're going to talk to her about her career and some leadership lessons that she can help impart to all of our listeners. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you, and thanks to the listeners. Well, it's good to have you, and Let's, you know, let's start at the very beginning. So let's go back uh, to before you got into education. What what made you decide to choose education as a profession? I didn't know what else to do with uh, my math. <laughs> so when I was little, very little, I always wanted to be a teacher. And then all of a sudden I just developed this love of mathematics. So I went to the U of I as a math major. And then all of a sudden I was thinking, you know, I don't know what to do with the math major because really my desire was to be around people and to just make a difference and help people. And so that seemed like the perfect combination. So I have a degree from the University of Illinois uh, Bachelor of Science in the Department of Mathematics. And then there, um, they had a a major, so it wasn't a, it wasn't in the Department of Education. It was in the College of Education. It was the um, teaching of mathematics was the name of the degree. So it just was the perfect blend of um, something that I was passionate about plus wanting to make a difference. So where did you get your first teaching job? Immaculate Part of Mary High School in Westchester, Illinois. So. I went in for the interview. I got my only speeding ticket of my life on the way to the interview. Um, so I was all frazzled and I got there and it was for a part-time math position at the high school. And then I have a minor in the teaching of social studies. So they said, oh, we also need someone for social studies. And I said, great. And I you know, did my interview. And then the person who was interviewing me left the room for about a minute and came back and said, all right, we would like to give you the job. And I said, okay, let's do it. So I was a math teacher. I was a um, social studies teacher. I was the cheerleading coach, the head track coach, like everything. When you when you work at these small schools, you just learn any maths. And so um, that was my first job. I did that for four years. And then I've been at Batavia ever since. So what, what made you decide to go into administration? Um, so when I took the job in Batavia, I knew that you know, a master's degree was supported financially through the district. So they would give me a little bit of tuition reimbursement. And I looked into different options and it it just, I always wanted to be a math department chair. I thought, okay, you know, I had a good role model at the Immaculate Heart of Mary, elect my department chair. Um, he got some really great things done. And I thought, oh, I'll be a department chair. And so I went into administration and that I got power there in Illinois. Um, and so I got at Batavia High School for one year as a math teacher while I was getting my master's in leadership. And 
at the end of that year or that next summer, the dean quit. And so then they asked me to interview to be the dean. And so that, that was my jump into administration. So after, uh, after being a dean, what was your next job? Being a mom. And then um, I was a mom and then somebody retired in the middle of the late summer. So then I came back when my daughter was very young and um, taught math for one more year and then left again when my son was born, took like six years off and then um, called Batavia High School and said, hey, I'm going back into the workforce. Can I get a letter of recommendation? And they said, hey, why don't you just come back? So then I came back to Batavia as a math teacher for one more year. And then after that, again, all these jobs that open up in the summer, need the internal candidate to fill the, that void. So then I was the assistant principal, um, then the principal that was with Greenville. So you moved from being the high school principal directly to superintendency, correct? Yep. Yeah, okay. I think it's easy fit there because being a high school principal, since it, we only have one high school in Batavia, so it is like a little mini district. You have, you know, your budgeting, you have your HR, you have your, you know, change management, all of those things on a smaller scale in one building. And so I think that prepared me really well for the superintendency. So how, how many years have you been superintendent now? This is 10. 10 years. Okay. So when we add all that up from being a math teacher to, uh, to a Dean an AP, a, a, a principal and superintendent, you've, you've had clearly a lot of experiences and leadership. So we want to talk to you now about what, what things have you learned? What are some lessons that you can impart to people that are either going into educational leadership or already are into educational leadership. Uh, give us some of uh, those ideas of things that you've learned throughout this process. I would love to think of the opportunity. So um, a lot of these reflections have come as I'm transitioning the new superintendent that um, is coming in to take maybe an external candidate. So I'm trying to put get out my ducks in a row and write out the things that I need to hand over to him. And as I'm looking at this list, um, I realize leaders need to trust and delegate. And I always trust people. Um, the other administrators in this district are amazing. And I feel like I trust them. I trust the staff. And then I'm looking at the list of things that I'm handing over. And it's like, oh, you need to edit this part of the website, you need to, you know, I do all of the um, board docs, you know, I'm, I'm creating agenda items and moving things around the, you know, and I'm using that program. I, um, like, I run the Hall of Honor, putting these events together, and I'm going to buy food for the Hall of Honor, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's not something that I should be doing. I love to do those things. But there are people that can do those things, and I learned that I didn't delegate as much as I should have. Um, so trust and delegate that I, I do trust people, or at least I thought I did, but then why am I doing these things that there are other people whose job this is? So I'm not the, I, I love to do web editing, but that's not my job. 
and there's somebody else that should be doing it. And so when I was writing out the list of things, you know, as that the new superintendent needed to do, I'm like, that's not something the new superintendent should be doing. So it, it made me realize um, to really think carefully about the types of things that you're stopping others from being able to do by me doing it myself. Um, and, you know, I, I always say that I trust um, our principles to make decisions. I'm a big proponent for um, not micromanaging the super or the, the principles just because I was one and and knowing in order for me to be seen as a leader and a principal, I have to make these decisions and I can't say since I was going to do that. Um, and one life lesson that I had was when one of the principals that I trust so much, I trust them all, but one of them is just excellent decision-making skills. And this person called me to give me, to tell me a decision they had made. And then I started going into advice mode and the principal was very kind, but said, I actually wasn't asking your opinion because the decision's already been made. I was just trying to inform you. So in the spirit of no surprises. And then I, like, I really have taken that to heart. That was a few years ago. And so when principals call to tell me things, I make sure that I know, is this, are they telling me this just to keep me in the loop? Or are they telling me this because they want my advice? So just making sure that they do have the space to make decisions without us second guessing the time or making them um, jump through hoops. When really that's the way that we all learn as leaders is to be given the freedom to make decisions. And we're going to make bad decisions, but knowing that that's how we build up our toolbox is to know what works, what doesn't work, and how to fix it when we mess up. So trust and delegate is my my first theme. Oh, great. No, thank you. And then, you know, trans the that's a good transition to my second theme. When the principal called me to let me know a decision that had been made, and the reason was to keep me in the loop, one of the things that I learned and always try to remember is people don't like to be left in the dark. And it doesn't mean that everybody has to be have input and feedback into every single decision that's made, but nope. But we just need to let them know the decision has been made. Even the things that we think are minor are, um, it's just that people want to be in the know. And even if the decision is something really minor and silly, if they didn't know that that decision was made and they find out about it, they just feel like, oh, I should have known that that happened. And, it, and um, so I always err on the side of communication. And it, and it doesn't always, you know, those of us that send out electronic communications with decisions, we probably have a little PTSD about that. Because if I send something to our district or anybody, the board, anyone, the community, I know that we're going to get some negative feedback. Um, just that's just the nature of, of the job. And so I, we do have a little PTSD, like it's better not to communicate it because I don't want to deal with the backlash. But I, I just say err on the side of communicating. And, um, you know, an example would be we had Tony Sanders come and do a tour of our buildings on Friday. 
And I didn't have to communicate that out to our staff, but I knew that they would be hurt if I didn't communicate it. He didn't go to all the buildings, and so they didn't all need to know, but I knew that they would be hurt if they found out he was here and they didn't tell them. So that's just a little silly example of, and I did get some feedback, like, why aren't you bringing him to my classroom? Can I go with him on the tour? All of these, you know, things came out of that. A couple, you know, people emailed back about that communication, but I think that overwhelmingly, people were like, oh, thanks for telling us. That's nice to know. People like to know things. A couple other things that really have, I've been thinking a lot about are um, an obvious one, which is lead by example. And I think it's important that as superintendent, we model the behavior that we expect of others. Um, an example that I thought of was uh, when, you know, last year we were really short on subs with people out with their COVID sick leave. And I spent a day subbing as a fifth grade teacher and it wasn't as much like we needed the help. So I jumped in there, but it was leading by example where we did need to all pitch in and, and start subbing. And so, um, and realize that it, it's hard on all of us, but I think when they saw me do it, they're like, okay, yeah, I know I have to give up my planning period or whatever it is to help out. But when they saw me pitch in, then hopefully that was signal to them that we're all pitching in. And it wasn't about, you know, me just having fun with fifth graders, which was one of the highlights of my career. Um, but it was about leading by example. And then if I just was talking about Tony Sanders in our visit, that the visit that he made to a couple of our schools last week. And one thing that he did that really stuck out was we were walking through the halls at our high school and there was a pencil on the floor and he just stopped and subtly picked up this pencil, you know, because it was on the floor. And I thought, you know, it's not just that he picked up the pencil. It was really a signal to all of us that this isn't even his building, but it's all of our job to make sure that that's not somebody else's job to pick up that pencil. Like, oh, we have people to do that. It is everybody's job to make sure that our buildings are clean and safe and that kids are, you know, feel safe and happy within our buildings. And it and part of it is making sure that there's not trash on the floors. And the fact that he picked up this pencil, first of all, was embarrassing to me because I didn't pick it up, but I'm going to pretend like he saw it first. But that was just a really good leading by example. Like there's no job that's too small. We all have to pitch in to make this a great environment for kids. And I thought that was a really um, timely example of leading by example. Um, well, and like couple... you noticed that clearly yeah. um, those things are noticed by staff and kids, you know, whenever a leader leads like that. Yeah. And you know, what's funny today, I was leaving my apartment building. I live in an apartment right now and there's been this, piece of trash on the ground in our parking garage. And every day I walk out for like the past four days and I see this piece of trash and I'm like, well, somebody's going to clean it up. And all of a sudden today I was like, no, no, this is, this is where I live. I'm going to pick up this piece of trash on the parking garage floor because I'm not going to wait for somebody else to do it. It's part of being a community. We're going to pitch in. And when we see something that needs to be done, we're going to do it. So he really did lead by example by, and help me pick up trash today. Um, 
Another thing that I, I have three more little pieces of advice. And one of them, I think I heard at a LUTA conference this year. I can't be certain. Maybe you can help me out here, John. But the phrase curious before furious. Did somebody say that at a LUTA yeah. conference this year? Yes. Yeah. I, I've used that phrase probably a hundred times this year in different scenarios, not only talking to other people about being curious before furious, but also myself. Um, and I think that when I give this advice to others who are upset about something, um, you know, I, I, I just was meeting with a teacher this week who sent me a, like an email pushing back on something. And so I asked to meet with her and I, I used this phrase and I said, like, it's okay to have to disagree with a decision or with something that happened, but let's be curious before furious. So let's find out what happened. Let's have a conversation face-to-face -face before we just write out this email because nobody wants to be furious all the time, but people sometimes are walking around furious. And I do find that if you just sit down and talk to someone and ask them questions, not I'm going to sit down and give you my feedback, but I'm going to sit down and listen and understand a little bit more. And then maybe you're furious anyway, but I think it really usually works out that if you take the time to sit down and learn somebody else's side, then you won't be furious. You might still disagree, but you won't be furious, which is where a lot of people I feel like myself included sometimes are living in the state of fury. Um, and I also think life is a lot easier when you could just go to furious. Um, and if I only have to understand my side of the story and I don't have to try to learn anybody else's side of the story, it's really easy. I can pick, like we all could pick up an opinion. We can all have an opinion about everything that happens to us in our lives, but is it the right opinion? Did we take the time to be curious? Because it's a lot easier just to go to furious and make my, and make my, draw my conclusion right away. And it doesn't take any extra effort on my part, but it does take extra effort to go and meet with someone and learn about why they did what they did. I think that's a great, that is a great, a, a great point. Do you remember who said curious before furious? Cause I want to give them credit and I can't remember it. No, but it is a great, it is a great quote. Yeah. That is for sure. I wrote it in my notes and then I've been using it ever since. And other people in the organization use it now as well. Sometimes it's not well received, but <laughs> usually if I explain it, that I'm not calling you furious, I'm saying how important it is to be curious, then usually it goes over pretty well. Um, and then that kind of goes along with my next thing that I wanted to talk about is like, I there's a lot we might not disagree with, but have empathy and try to find, I always try to find out why this person is reacting the way they're reacting. Um, and it's not just the people that are negative. It's the people that are positive and making such a huge impact on our organization. It's just fascinating to try to understand, try to get in their head and find out why they act the way that they act. And I think that it's so beneficial because if you have people that you really respect and you try to get in their head and think about what's making them act that way, then it helps you learn how to um, change your ways and then and, and just reflect and grow. And then if it is somebody that's really upset or sends you a really nasty email and just 
talking to these people and trying to get in their head and figure out like what's making them so mad or what's making, why do they not agree with this decision? And it's, it's really an important part of leadership to be able to, we all say that we want to hear different perspectives, but do we? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just, you know, you you get feedback overload and you want to say the feedback window has closed, but it is an important part of leadership to really try to get, get inside someone else's head and think about how your decisions are impacting them. And it doesn't no, mean you're going to change right. your mind but it helps to um, give you some perspective. And then finally, I think um, those of you that know me know that um, it wouldn't surprise you that I like to just roll with it. So you can't control everything. And I think it's important especially when you're feeling a lot of pressure to step back and say, all right, I can't fix everything. So, or I can't change other people, what other people are doing. So as a leader, um, it's okay to be vulnerable and not have the answer to everything. And just sometimes people get a little frustrated if something happens and we don't have a plan to fix it right away, but sometimes we just have to roll with it and we can't fix everything all at once. And again, this is a lesson right now that is super important to me because as I spent this, my goal for this year was as I left here, I wanted to make sure our collaborative structures were understood by everyone and everybody was agreed on the data points that they were using and the purpose of all of our different committees. And I wanted to have this brilliant clarity as I left. And, and, you know, I wanted to pass a referendum and there were all these things I needed to fix before I left. And now I'm panicked because I don't have all of this done. Um, And so really what I did right now, I brought our team together and I said, all right, this was last month. I said, we've got, what can we fix in three months? Because now all of a sudden everybody's like, we have to fix this. We have to fix this. There's so many things that aren't Perfect. I was just had a conversation this morning with our um, director of finance about something related to food service that it's it's really antiquated and we're like and we're a little panicked and all of a sudden I said you know what we can't fix everything all at once um, and so I sat down with a group of people and we said okay what are the things that over the next three months is reasonable for us to um, clean up because I, I really don't want to turn over the district to someone and have all these things that have to be fixed or cleaned up or re-clarified or redone. Um, but there are some things that really are more strategic and I can't get those done in three months. So we made a list of everything that we wanted to clean up in the next three months and then things that would be really our year-long you know, strategic plan where we need to be more thoughtful about it. So um, not wanting to rush in and fix everything because that's not when the good decisions are made. And that's just band-aids that you have to be able to realize what things are strategic and what things are the quick fixes. So take some time and um, don't try to fix everything all at once. Roll with it. 
And there's really no urgency to a lot that we do. We all know what the really urgent things are as far as like safety issues and and there's things that are student related that are really urgent, but a lot of the things we have to roll with it and realize some of these things take time. A lot of these things take time. So those are my lessons. Oh, definitely. Boy, what a good, what a good set of, uh, of lessons you were able to impart for, for everybody, but we're not done yet. I got okay. some other questions we'd like to talk about before we leave. One is, you know, we we know that part of leadership is dealing with very challenging issues. And oftentimes the issues that make it to your desk are very, very challenging because if they weren't, they would have been solved somewhere else along the line. So what's one that stands out to you in your career that was a really challenging situation and how did you deal with it? One of the most challenging things we were facing financially, it, we're we're very proud of the fact that we issued tax anticipation warrants probably for the last 20 plus years. And in the last four years, we've been able to um, manage our finances so that we don't have to anticipate the tax anticipation warrants anymore just to make meet our payroll and our fund balance is very healthy right now. And um, the reason one of the main um, changes that we made was we got rid of our salary schedule that we found, like we went all the way back to board books in the 1950s, we had a salary schedule and we don't have a salary schedule anymore. And that's important. That was important to our finances because it, um, it wasn't sustainable. We were on a path that was um, very destructive financially. And it, as a leader, the most important thing that we needed to do to fix that was to tell a compelling story and not like a false story, but really put the facts together in a way that everybody could see the problem that we are facing. And we did that with the union and it, as a leader, I just, in my last question, talked about those quick fixes versus the strategic, the things that take time. And this one took a lot of time. So in like the 2016-17 school year, we were negotiating a contract and we put a phrase in there that said, the salary schedule is going away in two years. So we're gonna negotiate a contract in two more years and we're gonna spend two years trying to figure out how to get rid of that salary schedule um, because they did see the story that we told and we weren't trying to take any money away from anyone, but it was being allocated in ways that didn't impact students. So you know, two master's degrees in subject areas that weren't even necessarily impacting students. And um, all of those lane movements that were happening on our salary schedule that were really, for us, it was like half a million dollars a year out of our salary schedule, out of what we were paying teachers, but going to like a a very small, relatively small number of people. And so we weren't saying we don't want to give you that half million dollars, but our lane changes really the way that are making an impact in our district. And so as a leader, like I said, we we try to, we put together, well, Tony <laughs> put together a really compelling story backed by data. And then the first thing we did after we negotiated that sentence or two into the contract that said, hey, the salary schedule is going away in two years, everyone. Let's work on it for two years. 
So we had this subgroup, this compensation committee that met for about two years and agreed upon the story. Then we then we talked about what we valued. We value highly paid teachers because we want them to stay here in Batavia. We value their expertise. And we really were able to start with that, everything that we value and, and find out what we had in common. And um, so that was basically the start of interest-based bargaining about this topic. And that is trying to figure out what interests that you shared. And then um, just taking our time and, um, and, and really when you talk about as a leader wanting to make, wanting to um, have diverse voices at the table in order to make the best decisions. That's what we had. And it was really something that was a challenge to get rid of a salary schedule because there's not that many contracts that don't have a salary schedule. Um, but able, giving ourselves the time to do it and having great people seated at that table that also had different opinions. But we being able to find what we had in common. We all, like I said, wanted to make sure people were highly compensated, but let's make sure that the things that people are studying, like the things that people were doing to get compensated were just hoops that they were jumping through and didn't have any impact on the organization. They were costing the teachers money to go get these master's degree that didn't necessarily um, have a return on investment for our students. And so we added a our own internal university. It doesn't transfer anywhere, but it really does help us to make sure that the kids are impacted by these teachers that are being um, that are learn, learning advanced topics, and we're raising the bar on student learning through this Batavia. It's called BPSU, Batavia Public School University, and all of our teachers are able to go through it. It doesn't cost them anything, but we're giving them compensation like we would have if they would have gotten a master's degree. But it, we believe it's adding value back to the students and it is compensating them for their expertise. So um, that was really challenging. It took two years, but it was well worth it. Well, that really dovetails, I think, well to my, my next question, which is uh, I want you to talk about something you're really proud of, which I think you could also very much give that same answer. I mean, we you took a problem and and really um, both by getting rid of the salary schedule and creating Batavia University did some things I think that are great, great legacies to be proud of. But is there something else and just when you look back in your career that um, is something that really stands out that you just look back on, you're really proud of? Um, one thing I, I would say would be what, you know, after I have to say COVID was a really hard time for all of us, but that school year, the 2020-21 school year, that first day of school when we had spent, I had spent, I feel like the entire summer negotiating with 20 different groups about getting kids back in. And on the very first day of school, that school year, we had at least one student in all of our eight buildings. So our elementary students were welcome back on an every other day basis. 
And at our middle school and our high school, students with special needs, McKinney-Vento students, students that really needed to be in person were there starting on day one. And that was something that really brought tears to my eyes on that first day. I was so proud that we were able to work with our union and get all of our teachers were in person. We had maybe one or two that had um, that worked remotely in the entire district. All of us showed up on that day and for us to be able to do that together and everybody made compromises and it wasn't, you know, people really didn't love that decision at the beginning, but now we could all look back on it with pride to say like, that was a student centered decision. It didn't make the adults comfortable. It made us, it, it, there were a lot of factors that we had to navigate and we did it successfully and able to, you know, it wasn't perfect. We didn't get our high school and our middle school kids back for a little longer, you know, unless they had special needs or unless they had to be there um, because of other factors. Uh, it took a while for us to get back more students, but the fact that we were able to open up on day one with all of our staff and, and many of our students was the thing that I'm most proud of because of how difficult it was and how everybody rose to the challenge. And then, but just in general, I would say, I'm not really proud of one thing. It's an aggregate every, every day that I, you know, when I am showing off our schools to the state superintendent or at a elementary choir concert or just walking around a classroom, everything like these kids showing up with their map scores to show their principal, look at how much I grew. And I'm in the office and I see that all these little things add up. Like I just take a little bit of pride from everything that is accomplished when we have kids come and celebrate at a board meeting, just all of those things in aggregate makes me feel the most proud. It's, it's a compilation. It's pride in the aggregate. So it's not necessarily one thing. It's all these little things. And you just feel so grateful that you can take a little piece of pride from everything that happens. Well, and like you said, in the aggregate, what 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 great things to look back upon after you retire that you were able to uh, accomplish from the very first time when you started as a math teacher. So that's uh, you've had a great career, uh, Lisa, and we really want to thank you for you know sharing a little bit about your career and your leadership lessons with us today on our podcast. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. And we wish you the best in retirement. <laughs>